All right. Why don't you um, turn to Acts 18. The message simply is uh, entitled, Apollos. Um, the perspective of people regarding teachers of the scriptures is interesting when you talk to different people through the years. Some say, uh, well, you know, he is uh, too intellectual for me um, and um, I can't receive from him. And though this can be a problem from the pulpit, often I think people are too lazy and don't really want to study the word of God to grow. They simply want to go to church to be entertained or to just sit there and, and be able to not have to think through things, but just give me positive things. Others say um, he's too basic and simple in teaching, and at times um, this may be true. And it's because pastors are lazy and they don't study. But what you need to do is then find a church that will feed you the word of God. Uh, but it's like a job. You don't leave your present job for one you don't have. You remain there until you find the other job. So you remain there and keep growing, trusting the Lord. You do your studies until the Lord leads you somewhere else where you feel you can adequately be fed. It's important. And yet others say, um, I like him because he has good stories, a lot of jokes. Well, illustrations are good. I usually give you three, one for each point. That's it. I don't try to move you emotionally. I don't try to fill your, uh, your hour that you're here with entertainment. We try to focus on the scriptures and that one illustration should nail each point and just give it a little window light so you can get it. And you can see how it hits you. And so, again, just through the past 43 years, just as you teach and you go through so many different individuals and everything, you encounter them and you sit on and talk with them, you do leadership, conferences and everything, uh, it's interesting always uh, the response of people that they do this. But let's look at Apollos because he's a teacher. Um, a teacher of the Word of God. And let's examine him from three perspectives. First, Apollos, the competent man. Second, we'll look at Apollos, the commended man. And thirdly, Apollos, the companion of man. These are three things that we see in his life. Um, he's a great guy. And here in the book of Acts, chapter 18, we want to begin around verse 24. And here we see Apollos, the competent man. Uh, the person of Apollos in Acts 18.24, it says that, that he's Jewish. He's a Jewish man, one of God's chosen people, a child of Abraham. As you know, the early church was comprised mainly of Jews until the Gentiles coming in. It was all Jewish at first. Uh, one who had looked forward to the age to come, the kingdom age, uh, that God would establish. Uh, one who uh, was... Uh, um, the lost sheep of Israel, like any other, waiting for the kingdom. And his name, Apollos, um, it's his given name, and the name is Greek in origin. Many Jews, um, though they had Hebrew names, they also had a Greek name. Uh, you have Saul, and that's the Hebrew, and then you have Paul, which is Greek. Okay, so many of them bore two names as you go through the scriptures. Notice he was born in Alexandria. The city of Alexandria was an ancient metropolis. 
of Lower Egypt, named after its founder, Alexander the Great, about 332 to 333 B.C. It was for a long period the greatest of existing cities, as you know. Uh, Egyptian history is incredible, but it's probably the most confusing and it always has to be updated because things are always found. Um, so um, there's so much stuff that we do know and a lot of stuff that we don't know. But for both Nineveh and Babylon had um, been destroyed and Rome had not yet risen to its greatest highest. So Egypt um, was a great civilization um, before the other ones that came through Nebuchadnezzar on. It was the residence of the king of Egypt for 200 years and it was not mentioned in the Old Testament and um, only incidentally in the New Testament, Alexandria. Uh, when we used to go to Israel years past, I mean, when we first started going in the in the 70s and then 80s, and I think the last time we went to Egypt was the 90s, uh, then it got real hostile and everything. But we used to just tag it on and go, and it was great. We landed in Egypt and was there two days. You go to the pyramids, sail the Nile, there's everything else. You check it all out, then you go over to Israel. It's great. And you see the difference between uh, Egypt and Israel. So we enjoyed it. Um, Many Jews from Alexandria were in Jerusalem, uh, as you know, in the day of Pentecost. And um, they also had a synagogue of the, uh, that where Stephen was martyred in Acts 6-9. It was there that the Hebrew Bible was translated into the Greek. Uh, as you know, the Old Testament is in Hebrew. And then the Septuagint, whenever you read capital LXR-XX, that's the Roman numerals for Septuagint, 50 and 210, 70. Um, this is called, again, the Septuagint version. Now, um, the tradition is that 70 scholars uh, translated them somewhere around 200 to 150 B.C. Um, that's what's called the intertestamental period between the 400 years of silence between the last prophet Malachi, which we'll get to right after Zechariah, and the opening of the New Testament with John the Baptist. Uh, 400 years silence, they were translated somewhere in the middle, around there. Now Philo um, estimated the number of the Alexandrian Jews in his time a little less than a million. And he adds that two of the five districts of Alexandria were called Jewish districts, and that many Jews lived scattered in the remaining three. And I'm quoting him here. For a long period, Alexandria was the greatest of known cities. Now, Alexandria, uh, an important city, not only in terms of times, but the Jewish man Philo combined Greek philosophy with the Hebrew scriptures in allegorical interpretations, which dominated the interpretation of scripture for a long, long time. So here's where you have some some corruption of the text because you're taking Philo was very um, prominent and very influential. And he used this type of allegorizing, spiritualizing, not taking the word of God literal. So he added all kinds of corrupt interpretations. A lot of people do this type of interpreting today from the pulpit and rather than going to the text and allowing the text to speak for itself in terms of the context, the language, 
and the background, they will just simply, you know, give some spiritual application of truth that is not even related to the context. And that's not good exposition. After Rome became the chief city of the world, Alexander ranked second to Rome in wealth and importance and second to Athens only in literature and science, famous for its universities and libraries. And this is always where the greatest attack against God in the scriptures come, the universities. Always, sooner or later. Now, it's important that you realize and understand that the majority of universities in the United States, Princeton and Berkeley and all of them, were Christian at the beginning, okay? Many of them. And they've turned completely against God. They started leading to man's understanding, started mixing worldly wisdom, and all of a sudden, the gospel gets dropped completely. It possessed the greatest of most famous libraries, 700,000 volumes, which was burned by uh, Saracenus in AD 642. When um, we were in Ephesus, and um, one of our trips, there's a great library, famous library there, but Alexander was the most famous. Um, at the beginning of the second century, the number of Christians at Alexander must have been very large, and the great heretical leader of Gnosticism um, arose there, Basilides and Valentinus, teaching dualism of good and evil, uh, of matter and spirit and um, special knowledge in addition to Christ to be saved. And what you have as a result of that is you have the writing of First John that's written specifically to combat Gnosticism that came out of Alexandria. Now, we don't have time tonight, but outside out of Alexandria came a lot of corrupt manuscripts. So you have the whole argument of which is the most accurate and authentic manuscript. So you have the Alexandrian text of the Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and one other text. And the majority of people today, Coco scholars, lean to those, but they're the most corrupt. You know why? It's real simple. You don't have to be a scholar. They have complete omissions, they have blotted outs, they have lines through them. A true text wouldn't allow that. It had to be no markings, perfect and accurate. So they're inferior texts. So we believe the Textus Receptus of Antioch, which the New King James and the King James comes from, is the more accurate text. Okay? And so you have those two schools of thought. So Alexandria was always where a lot of the heresy came. So that kind of gives you an idea uh, on, the, on the background of manuscripts. Now, the city of Alexandria was also the seat of um, Platonic thought and Greek philosophers. Notice here still in 24 and 25 of chapter 18, the proficiency of Apollos is given to us. He was um, an orator, verse 24 says there. Uh, the word eloquent means a man of letters, skilled in speech and in thought. And one skilled in literature and in arts, and one who was versed in history and antiquities. Um, the word appears only this time in the New Testament. So he was, he was a, a pretty smart guy. Um, now, he was mighty in the scriptures, it says, though. Look at verse 24 there. This is the importance. There are a lot of smart people 
as you know, we've done the life of Paul at different times, and he was a scholar. He, Gamaliel, just complained. The only thing, the only complaining against Paul is he couldn't find enough books to keep him busy. But yet Paul says in the Philippians chapter 3 that all those things that he gained to himself, you know, Pharisee of Pharisee, circumcised the eighth day, but his contemporaries, he smoked them. He says, all these things I, I count as a pile of manure in comparison to Jesus Christ. Now, education is nothing wrong with it, but you run your education through the Bible. When it contradicts the Bible, you let that education go. And get all the education you can, but once you get it, get over it. Okay? It's okay. It's important. The authority is the Word of God. And so the importance here is that he was um, um, mighty in the Scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. The Scriptures here are the Old Testament. There's no New Testament written yet. Some about Genesis to Malachi. Paul has knew the history of Israel, the promises of God. And now it's the New Testament. Now the age of grace. He's a Jew. He's accepted Christ. But notice that Paul had come to Ephesus. There in verse 24, the city was well known for its wealth and its luxuries, as we've done studies in the past. And the city was known for its learning and its um, um, library, a city that had um, an established church. Paul the, Apostles, Paul the Apostle was there, remember, and he established the church there, leaving uh, uh, the married couple of uh, Achille and Priscilla. And then he came back and was there the pastor for about three years. Now, verse 25 tells us that he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. Um, this refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. The manner of his instruction is fervent in spirit, meaning uh, to boil or to bubble. He was on fire for the Lord. Um, he came to know that Jesus was his Messiah as a Jew. The majority of Israel had rejected Jesus as Messiah. Uh, Jews will not acknowledge Jesus as Messiah today. In fact, uh, most of the Jews in Israel are just secular individuals. Only 8% is religious. That's the hard um, uh, Orthodox Jews. And they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They, they, they don't acknowledge him at all. In fact, if a Jew converts into Christianity, his relatives have a funeral for him. They consider him as dead, you see. Notice the efficiency of his instruction was that he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Commentators um, vary in their explanation of this thing um, as to what it was that he knew. The only thing he lacked was given to us is what follows. So we need to guard against reading too much into the text. Sometimes people read into the text uh, what's not there, or they insert things that's not there. We can only teach from the presence of Scripture, not from the absence. We can't continue the thought of the writer that the Holy Spirit was anointing. So we don't want to go beyond that. Um, at 25, still notice the limitation of Apollos was that he only knew the baptism of John. So this is the context. They noticed something about him, and then they spoke to him. The baptism of John was unto repentance by water, as you remember. John was baptizing there in the Jordan, and the Pharisees and all came out to him. Are you Elijah? No. Are you this? No. Who are you? The voice in the wilderness prepare you the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus, six months older, and that's why um, John told all the religious people before that uh, Jesus was before him. How can Jesus be before him? 
if John was older, because John knew that his cousin was the Messiah. He was before me. In other words, he's eternal. He's God. It's real simple. There's no other explanation. And so, the confirmation of that this is the baptism referring to um, uh, that Paul is dealing with here, um, later on with Apollos and that, is what it says in the text here. Um, in fact, in chapter 19, as we move on to chapter 19, verse 1 through 6, Paul um, encounters some disciples there um, that had been baptized and known only the baptism of John and not um, the um, baptism of the Spirit, and he deals with them accordingly. So they noted this right away. So look at verse 26. The personal humility of Apollos is demonstrated here. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. From the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies, the promises of Messiah, the redemption of lost man, putting it all together. And Achille and Priscilla heard him and instructed him more completely, it says. They took him aside and they taught him the way of God more perfectly. They were acting as a team. Priscilla was not teaching a man. Whenever you see this married couple, the husband's with her, okay? So one thing that the Bible is very clear, that a woman's not to usurp authority over a man, and this is in Timothy, the pastoral epistle, meaning a woman cannot sit as a pastor teacher over a congregation teaching men. Now, a woman can teach women, can teach children, can do anything in the church, but not be a pastor teacher as the senior pastor. Very, very clear. I know there's women out there, but for every woman that's out there, there's a disobedient man somewhere. Okay? It's real simple. All right? And Paul gives the reason in Timothy. If you're familiar with higher criticism today and the philosophy and ideology of the seminaries today, they say, well, that was cultural. Really? Listen to Paul. He gives, after he says a woman is not to use super authority over a man, the context is pastoral. He gives two reasons. You ready? Adam was created first. He's the head of the human race. Second, Eve was deceived, not Adam. They're not cultural. They're historical and doctrinal. Don't read into the text. Don't twist the text. Let us speak what it says. Simple. End of conversation. Some people think they're too smart for the Bible. And they corrupt the Bible. And they create more problems for the church. There's a reason. Headship and more prone to be deceived. Ladies, you know that you make decisions by your emotions more than a man. It does not mean that a man cannot be deceived. That's not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is saying there's male and female. And females are more prone to deception because of emotions than a man. That's all it's saying. And society and history and personal experience bears that out to the point. Okay? It's real simple. And it's a shame for a woman to have authority over a man in the pastoral way. It's real simple. So the biblical reason is scriptural, not cultural. So when somebody gives you that, take them to the text, let them read it. And ask them, is this cultural or is it doctrinal and historical? Real simple. 
Notice that Apollos had um, admirable qualities that make for a vessel of honor. He was um, uh, approachable, uh, not distant. He was teachable, not prideful. He saw himself in progress of learning the things of God. No one knows everything. I continue to learn as I study. In spite of the years, you don't know everything. A holy ab was competent, the Bible tells us, to build the tabernacle by the enabling of God and his wisdom in Exodus 6. It's always a dependence on God. Whenever we're going to have any ability, whether it be in teaching or whatever we're going to do in ministry, it's always because God enables us. Not because we're so smart, ladies and gentlemen. You need to understand that. Like Apollos, who came from a very secular and philosophical society, we must resist and oppose its deception with our knowledge of the scriptures. Second Timothy 2.15, we're to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So you need to be a good student of the word of God. You need to read. You need to study. You need to rightly divide so that you can know truth from error. The Bible is the plumb line. Like Apollos, we must know that we are uh, what we are talking about. In order to be able to give an answer to every man for the reason and the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear is 1 Peter 3.15. There are some of your friends, some of your loved ones, some of your co-workers that are going to say, well, why do you Christians believe in this sin stuff? Where do you get this stuff? Take back to Genesis. Show them what happens. Show them where sin and death came in. Why, why do you guys believe them? you should be able to open the scriptures and give them the scriptures? Why? That is the answer that God wants you to give. The biblical answer. Not your opinion. Don't try to soften it. Don't try to put sugar on it. Just give it to them. And say, here, you read this. Read this right here. So that you can explain them why it is that you believe. Like Apollos, we're to speak boldly of Christ. But always to know that we do not know everything. We are in the process of learning. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 3.12 uh, uh, that he's pressing towards the mark. One thing is needful, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to the things that are ahead. And we continue to grow each day. So this was Apollos, the competent man. Quite an impressive guy. But he wasn't impressed with himself. That's good. <laughs> Very important. Notice, secondly, comes Apollos, the uh, commended man. And we pick this up in verse uh, 27 here, chapter 18. Apollos was a man who could be spoken for by the brethren, having proven himself to be faithful to minister the word of God. Notice in 27, Apollos desired to cross to Achaia. Apollos purposed to go to Achaia to preach the gospel. The name originally was of a narrow strip of territory in Greece on the northwest of the Peloponnese. Subsequently, it was applied to the Romans, to the whole of that area, now called um, Moria in the south of Greece. And the brethren, notice, wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him here in verse 27. The brethren would be in reference to the leaders of the church of Ephesus. They wrote confirming Apollos was a reputable teacher of the word and not a huckster who was praying on the church. 
because there were many people going around in those days passing themselves as apostles and teachers and they would rip the people off. Nothing has changed, has it? Still the same. Every generation has to deal with that. There's always people that rip people off and they come in. Um, we try to keep people out of here, but there's people that come in and try to merchandise you, try to rip you off, stuff like that. And, you know what I mean, But what's neat is when, when you're well-fed, then you, you can pick up on it right away and you do, you, you, most of you confront it. And the, a healthy body expels disease from itself. A weak body can't. And so, uh, again, the solution is to teach the Word of God. And, and the rest gets taken care of. Um, they did this notice knowing that Apollos now knew the more perfect way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and without any doubt was baptized in the Spirit because we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can happen at the same time you're born again or subsequent to being born again. Okay? So you have the Spirit that is with us, in us, and upon us, the threefold ministry of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't, uh, if you've gone through the new believers, that's the first, one of the first teachings that we teach you so you understand the difference. For the empowerment, Acts 1-8, Jesus said to his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. You shall be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. So it's for service, the empowerment for service. And we need to always depend on the Lord that he baptized, that he fill us. There's different words that are used. Baptism, filling, the promise of the Father, power from on high. About eight terms that are synonymous with that, okay? Now, a lot of people who do not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit will try to explain that away. It was only for the first century. Really? So the first century church needed that, but the last century church doesn't? <laughs> or whatever? Of course it does. It's for the whole church. Always. And so, they exhorted the disciples, uh, which means learners of the word, to receive him, for he was no threat to them. In fact, he would be of great benefit. Um, even as I allow the guys who are here to teach over the pulpit. Why? Because they've been here with me for years, and they're a benefit whenever I leave. We, we have plenty of teachers in the women's ministry, many women teachers in the retreat. They, they're just, we do our own retreats and, and here people can step up. When I got hit on my motorcycle and on my Harley, I was out for four and a half months. I had a halo and my leg was all messed up. Tony stepped into the pulpit. The church grew. You guys don't need me. I'm just here because you allow me, but you guys don't need me. There's plenty of teachers here to be able to teach you and to grow. Um, that's what's good about a, a, a church that's, that's well taught is that God raises many teachers and you're healthy and you're sound and you're able to teach the word of God and, and that's a joy. Um, notice at the end of 27 and 28, Apollos was a teacher um, perfecting um, the saints. That's what is a teacher is for. The record reveals that when he arrived, in verse 27 at the end there, that he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He helped those who believed, believers. The word help means to bring together in one mind. He came alongside and guided the believers for their spiritual benefit in the scriptures to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what a teacher does. That's the purpose of the church in Ephesians chapter 4. To perfect the saint to do the work of ministry. Too often churches in the past, before um, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa with Pastor Chuck. Chuck came out of Foursquare, as you know. 
A lot of preaching in the four square, but not much teaching. Okay? A lot of extreme Pentecostalism, right? And Chuck began to teach the Word of God. And people started to grow and everything. The gifts are legitimate, but you've got to be taught so you understand what's legitimate, what's biblical, what is not. And so when Chuck began to teach, you know, he, he was taught that the purpose of the church was to evangelize the world. It's wrong. The purpose of the church is to perfect the saints. The privilege and responsibility of the church is then to reach the lost. You must be taught first. Okay? Very important. He was a herald of the grace of God. Not long. The source of all the believers um, partake of Christ. It's of grace through faith. The ongoing source of enabling um, that Apollos can ministry was Jesus Christ. Not himself, not the law, but Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed Messiah. The specific manner in which Apollos helped the new believers was in refuting vigorously the Jewish publicly. Now, today we have a lot of politically correct things. Well, you guys shouldn't judge. No, he made a judgment. He says, you guys are wrong. Everybody wants you to just go along with the lies that are being taught. In universities, over the news, in politicians, and even in the church. No, you need to use your brain. You need to stand with the word of God. You stand with truth, even if it costs you. It's important. Everybody's being turned into a quacking duck today. Ducks are messy and they stink. Notice that he didn't allow the Jews to bully or intimidate the faith of the new believer. But he proved the Jews wrong. How? Through the scriptures. Now, you cannot convince someone that they're wrong. That's not your job. Your job is to show them that they're wrong. And God has to make that real in their life. If their heart is open, God will save them. If their heart's not open, God will give them over to their deception. Ooh. Light dispels darkness for conviction. But if you reject it, that light will blind you at the same time. You get greater blindness. It's a two-edged sword. What's the condition? Your heart. The same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. Is your heart wax or clay? It's not the sun's fault, is it? It's the condition of your heart. My heart. Always. So he challenged and exposed the Jews before all. Look at still at 28. The help Apollos gave to these new believers was to show from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. The scriptures, once again, were the Old Testament, not the New Testament. They were being written a little bit at a time. The scriptures of the Old Testament revealed that God became man and the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, was the Messiah. The Old Testament is progressive revelation. 
No one prophet had all the revelation. They each had a piece of the revelation. And it was progressive. And it climaxed in the person of Jesus Christ. He fulfilled all of that. Very important. Remember, Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 2, 19 and 20, the following. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your estate. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. You know what an incredible statement that is? Read Paul's letters, how many names he names, how many people he knew. Especially Romans. He says... One man, I can trust implicitly, Timothy. Whoa. Paul didn't send just anyone. He sent his best when it came to instruct the saints and to help the saints. Why? Because he loved the church. Why is it that I speak out against teachers that are teaching heresy and I even name names? Is it because I hate them? No, it's because I love you. You as a parent, you tell your son or daughter, I don't want you hanging around with Johnny or Susie. They're bad news. Now, is it because you hate Johnny and Susie or is it because you love your child? Why does the church get so upset? Why do people, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't. Go away. Jesus name name. Paul name names. Hymenes, Alexander, Demas. Why? Because he hated them? No but because they were danger to the church and he loved the church. Are we clear on this? A lot of these guys are probably nice guys. I probably like them. But they're teaching heresy. They're deceiving people. I can't be quiet. How can you be quiet? You better not. You can't. There's nothing more delightful to be able to speak on behalf of faithful, trustworthy people, brothers and sisters in ministry, for it's required that he be found faithful, as 1 Corinthians 4.2 says. We must be found faithful. Steward must be found faithful. I do not speak for anybody personally in ministry if I don't know them. And sometimes some people leave from here, they go to out of state or to go to another church and they'll call me and say, do you know this guy, this and that? And if I know they've been uh, faithful through here, fine. But um, if they're not, I say, no, yeah, I wouldn't use them. Because I can't lie. And a lot of pastors are very politically correct. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you could use them when they shouldn't use them. In fact, I've, I've, some pastors haven't called me and I know where they've gone. I've called the pastor. I said, you know, I wouldn't use this guy. I don't pay attention. I'm just unloving, too strict, legalistic, little Hitler. Okay. He's all yours. No big deal. Time will tell. But see, we think we know better. We don't, we don't pay attention at all. Now, there's nothing more needful in the church today and at the same time lacking than individuals who are able to help those who have believed in Christ Jesus to be taught well. Because now we have this whole movement of, uh, of the um, emergent church which really doesn't focus on the Word of God. It's on motivational speaking, on personalities, 
these young guys that are all tagged down and they just jet set and they're just, they make you feel good and all that. Really? Wow. You know, when you're little, you, you, you like cotton candy and butterfingers and peanut butter cups and all of that. But you realize that you can't uh, grow on that. In fact, it can be bad for your health in the future, right? So when you get a certain age, you start realizing that you shouldn't have those things that much and all the time, right? So you start eating a little better. Why? Because you're no longer a kid, not a child. When I was a child, I thought as a child, but when I grew up, I put away those childish things, Paul says. The context is regarding the gifts, but in principle it applies to anything else. There's a lot of people that just love to go to church, you know, they just, they feel good. You know, oh, this guy's just so, he's so funny, and oh man, he's just this and that. It's like cotton candy, it looks so big. It promises so much, you put it in your mouth, boom, it's gone. All your left is cavities. That's what a lot of teaching is about, which is no teaching at all. Am I boasting? Am I exalting myself? No, no, no. It's the sad truth. I don't say it with any exaltation. I say it with a broken heart. Because the word of God should be taught over the pulpit every time people come. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to prepare you with the word of God so you can face and live life and then face the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes for you. That's it. That's my only responsibility. Not to run your life, but to prepare you for life and to prepare you to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple. This was Apollos, the commended man. Great guy. Notice thirdly, Apollos, the companion of man. Apollos uh, apparently moved on to Corinth from Achaia, and Paul was at Ephesus. Um, here in Acts 19, verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. The city was located near the southern end of a narrow isthmus which connected the Grecian Poloponies, as I said before, with the continent, a small strip of land. The city at its southern edge displayed its famous Acropolis and the um, uh, Acrocorinthus for, that stood 1,850 feet high on, um, on a mile, half a mile um, on the spare summit. Uh, when we went to Greece, we went to the Acropolis and we saw it there and everything else. And just this is where all the, the gods were worshipping and sacrificed. All the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And they're all there when Paul men, uh, ministered to them in Acts 17. And uh, the city had a very um, strategic position having a gulf on both sides. Um, the Corinthian Gulf on the west and the Saronic Gulf on the east. And the city had its rival just 45 miles away, the city of Athens, where the Acropolis could be seen. So these two cities were always in competition, but Athens was already looking to its past glory, okay? 
Uh, remember the uh, empires of the world, the head of gold, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the arms and shoulders of silver, Greece, the belly of brass, okay? Now Rome is in control. Greece is over. Now the Greece culture was embraced by Rome, but the control and the power and the authority of Greece was gone. Rome is ruling at this point, okay? But the Grecian culture infected the whole world with its promiscuity and everything else. It was very licentious. And so Apollos was um, at home with the eloquence of the Corinthians and spirit-empowered now. So he understood their mindset, but he depended on the wisdom of God, not um, the wisdom of man. Now, Apollos apparently became a recognized teacher at Corinth because the Corinthians had taken on a party spirit and Paul rebuked them for it. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, um, Paul says, Now I say this, that each of you say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, meaning Peter, or I am of Christ. So the Corinthian church was carnal, 100% beef. The Corinthian church was the emergent church, cultural. It brought the culture of the corrupt city of Corinth into the church. Some of the guys were still visiting the prostitutes of the goddess Diana. Some of them were still going to feast days and everything else. They were living carnally. And Paul says, what are you doing? Don't you know that you join yourself to a harlot? You join yourself to one body? You join Christ to that harlot? What is your problem? So you have today in the American church a lot of things. Well, now, well, you know, the, the pastor has his beer bashes with the elders. Oh, really? And pastors cuss from the pulpit to show that they're like anybody else. Really? Well, if, if you're drinking and you're cussing, then I presume other things follow. Cultural. The Bible tells me I'm a new creature. All things pass away, everything becomes new. Even when I was in the world, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew it. How much more that I'm in Christ. So be careful of um, the lukewarm church of today, Laodicea. It's nothing new. It's the church of Corinth, 100% beef. Wow. The Corinthians were um, demonstrating their lack of spirituality by their party splits. Paul says, for when one says, I'm a Paul, I'm of another, I'm a Paulist, and I'm of Cephas, aren't you carnal? First Corinthians 3, 4. Yes. It's a rhetorical question. Yes, you're carnal. Absolutely. A carnal person is one who has accepted Christ, born again, but they still live after their flesh. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're not trusting the God. They're not putting on the armor. They, they just kind of mellow out a little. The Corinthians had failed to recognize they were servants, enabled and anointed and used by Jesus. Paul then, when he said, who is Apollos, 
but ministers through whom you believe and the Lord gave to each one. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Why are you boasting in these men? They're all just men. They're all just instruments of God. God's the one that does the work. How many Christians they boast about the teacher? Worship the Lord, not your pastor. Thank God for, for your pastor, but pray for your pastor, but don't worship him. Don't think that he is some super spiritual guy. He's just like you, a sinner saved by grace. Too much attention is brought to the pastor in today's church. Pastor worship. The Corinthians were to understand God uses each person differently, but the focus is to be God who breathes life into all things. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. That's the principle. The Corinthians were not to boast in men, but rather to know that all these men were given to them by God for their spiritual development and not merely to choose one superior to the other. He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours in 1 Corinthians 3.22. All these individuals that I've anointed and I've gifted and they're there to serve you. They're not there for you to worship. They're not there for you to, to choose. I'm of Tony. I'm of Henry. I'm of Mario. I'm of Xavier. I'm, what? Is Christ divided? Are we God? No. The Corinthians were to see each of them as faithful stewards of their call rather than exalting one person against the other. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. It's carnality. Every church, every generation goes through it. You've got to resist all that stuff. You've got to deny all that stuff. Apollos apparently was a fellow laborer with Paul at Corinth in other places. Paul attempting to correct the error at Corinth was by sending Timothy in 1 Corinthians 4.17. He says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So here again, he was sent as troubleshooter, Timothy. And Timothy would be faithful to pass on. I, I look at the, the years that God has put this church together and raised uh, godly, faithful men. And there's many that serve throughout this church all over. But just the staff alone, Mario and myself, Go back all the way to high school. We've known each other since we were 14 years old. But we never knew we were going to be Christians. We never knew we were going to be in ministry. He was out at the beach. I was out here in the San Gabriel Valley. We got saved two different times. And God brought it together and put it all together. But through the years, we're faithful to, to the Lord. We love the Lord. And so therefore, you know, God has put it all together. Faithful men, a faithful friend. I love them. All the men on staff, I can trust my life to them. 
They've all been with me for years. Because they're faithful to the Lord. See, I can't trust you. But I can trust you if you're trusting the Lord. If you're walking with the Lord, then I can trust you. If you're not walking with the Lord, I can't trust you. It's impossible. And the same goes for me. You see? Our confidence has to be in the Lord, not the instrument. God has put in this treasure in this earthen vessel that the excellency may be of God, not of ourself. Paul also encouraged Apollos to go to Corinth to clear up some of the party divisions and Apollos would come at the right time. He couldn't go at that time. In um, 1 Corinthians 16, 12, it says, Now concerning the brethren, Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. So again, the whole motive is to help the church, right? And they do what they can as they can. It doesn't mean that they don't like each other, that they're, you know, they're, they, they, they're not going to cooperate with each other, they, but they communicate, they, they, they're serving the Lord. Paul, in his last will and testament, mentions Apollos as an ongoing faithful servant and a partner in the work of the kingdom. Listen to, first, to Titus, the, uh, three of the epistles. Yeah, first, second Timothy, and Titus is the third pastoral epistle. Chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Since Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. He commends him. Paul is ready to, to have his head cut off pretty soon in 2 Timothy. Right after the, the, the Titus, then he wrote 2 Timothy. And so he commends him as one who can be trusted, one who's faithful, one who can serve uh, with a true heart, not there to rip people off, not there to try to get over on the women, not to whatever, but one who can be trusted because he's walking with the Lord. Paul, writing to the Philippians, again said in Philippians 2.25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brethren, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. You remember Epaphroditus had come to Rome to help Paul, to minister to him in prison and give him a gift that they had sent with him. And he got sick and almost died. And so when the Philippians heard about it, they were worried about Epaphroditus. So Paul wanted to send him back to kind of relieve their preoccupation about him. But he commended Epaphroditus. Why? Because Paul knew the Philippians had a divisive spirit. Read the epistle to Philippians. We're doing it right now in depth on Thursday. And he knew when Epaphroditus got back, some of them would say, yeah, yeah, he couldn't cut it. Look at that wimpy guy, sick, this and that. And Paul says, you mark Epaphroditus. He's a servant of God. He didn't consider his own life. So Paul commends him. You see? Because they were divisive. They weren't united. Read the epistle. By the way, what's known as the epistle of joy, but the joys of Paul. And he's in prison. Not of the Philippians. The joys of Paul. <laughs> the Philippians were not united. They had no unity. They had a critical spirit. Syntyche and, and Yodi had a difficult time with each other. And Paul called some of the elders or, Ephesians, or the uh, bishops to come alongside to help them to get their act together. Interesting. 
The person used of God is one who is always looking into new territory to see how and where God will open those doors. Always be open. Old friends, relatives, co-workers, wherever God uses you. Not all doors are without danger. Paul says, for a great and effective door is open to me and there are many adversaries in 1 Corinthians 16.9. We usually say, well, God's in it. How do you know that? Well, because everything just flowed and there was no trouble. Paul defines it differently. He says, a great door is open to me. A lot of adversaries. <laughs> Interesting. In other words, God's in both. The important thing is that you know God has sent you. If God has sent you and everything flows together, great. If God has sent you and there's a lot of adversaries, put on the armor. That's what's important. To the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Revelation 3.8. So in other words, God who opens the doors and closes the doors. If you knock on the door and God opens it, walk in. If you knock on the door and God doesn't open it, don't break it down because you get in there, you're on your own. Simple. The danger of being used by God is that people will want to exalt you above the normal man. They don't always do it vindictively or evilly. They just It's just the nature of man. You know, people look at people up front and they say, man, if I could be like him. No, you don't want to be like him. God can only handle one of him and one of you. Be exactly what God has called you to be. You. As you walk with God, and he will use you tremendously. But people have this tendency a lot. Every person must remember that they are but a broken clay pot. Again, Second Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in this earth and vessel that the excellence and power may be of God, not of ourselves. God gets the glory. Every person must be like Paul and Silas at Lystra. You remember how quickly they discouraged the worship of them. Let me read it to you. Um, you find this in uh, Acts 14, 18 through, 8 through 16. It says, it's a little lengthy, but bear with me. In that Lystra, certain men uh, without strength on his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb and had never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and he walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying to the, to the Lyconian, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. By the way, Hermes, that's where you get the word hermeneutics from. The spokesman, okay? The signs of interpretation for the Bible from Hermes because he's the God that speaks, Okay? And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garland in the gates and tended to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they said, yeah, let's celebrate us. No. They tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitude crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these un useless things to the living God 
who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. That's good. You don't allow people to glorify you. You allow them to glorify Jesus Christ. Partners in ministry means that we see ourselves in the same team, not in different ones. If I can be of any service at any time, I yield myself to the Lord. But I also check when I get invited. Is that church doctrinally sound? If it's not doctrinally sound, I don't go. And I never go if I have responsibilities here. My responsibility here is to you. So I'll speak on Wednesday somewhere else because my midweek's on Thursday. But I never, uh, on very few occasions, do I not teach you on Sunday morning. I never do. Today was the first one. And that's after 36 years, okay? So I'll go on other days. I do other studies, but I, I, I don't substitute you and go somewhere else. My responsibility is you first and then others. Very, very important. And so this is Apollos, the companion of man. Great guy, isn't he? We need more Apollos in the body, more like him. So this was Apollos, a teacher of the word of God. Apollos, a competent man. Apollos, the commended man. And Apollos, the companion of man. Good stuff for us. As God uses each and every one of us from day to day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your love, and your grace. And Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that makes it alive and instructs us. We thank you for the work you've done in each of our lives. We thank you how you, the work that you've done with us corporately as a church through the years. We pray you continue that our hearts would be open to you. And that we would never think we've arrived, that we never think we have all the answers, that we just continue to study and just call on your name and depend upon you, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Or maybe you're over the internet, right where you sit. If you see yourself as a sinner, it's the grace of God. If you see your need of salvation through Jesus Christ, that's the grace of God. But now you have to make that decision to call upon His name. If you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, you shall be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the Bible says. So if you want to be born again and repent of your sins, this is your prayer to the Lord right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.